Okay, we have to work together and we have to do it now. All right, it's gonna sound weird, but just go with me. You're gonna hear music and I'm gonna make sure that everyone knows the words, but every single one of us has to sing. I really love God, the look of that you. spell. That was Brad. Yeah. No! No! Pressure pushing down on me, pressing down on you, no man has for under pressure that burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on streets. Julia? That's the terror of knowing what this world is about. Watching some good friends screaming, let me out! Pray tomorrow takes me higher. Get your people, people on the streets. man sat on a fence but it don't work those are the actual lyrics keep coming up with love but it's so slashed and torn
that song always makes me cry. So I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, think anyone can blame us for singing along either. <laughs> um, the funny thing is, is the first time I ever heard that song, it was actually by Mike, my chemical romance and the used. Uh-huh. And I had no idea that it was a David Bowie and queen song. Oh, and man. so I was like, but this is like when I was like 10 or 11. <laughs> so then I found out, I was just like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I just really love like everything about that song and how it actually works really well for what's going on. for them. Yeah, I agree. So um, hi, everyone. Welcome back to Physical Qu- Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And we are here to talk about this week's episode, episode 309, All That Josh, a.k.a. the musical episode. Woo! Um, and unsurprisingly, this one is written by John McNamara. And then two new writers, they've been um, assistants on The Magician's staff, it sounds like for a couple of years, Jay Gard and Alex Raymond. And so they got to help write this Sweet. episode, too. Um, yeah. And before we get into it, I'm going to do our recap. Uh, it was actually really hard to write a recap for this. I don't know why. Maybe just because I was feeling emotional about it. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, after Quentin, Katie, and Alice return from the library, the quest takes them to a pocket universe made for Josh and seemingly run by Todd. Meanwhile, Elliot and Margot face death in Fillory, and Julia and Fenn help Sky reach her magical potential with unexpected consequences. Things come to head for everyone pretty much all at once when Josh gets fed up um, and Todd minions attack so the gang must come together across like all of their different times and places to save him performing a group rendition of under pressure all right so danny what did you think of this episode i really liked it i was very hesitant when i first heard that they were doing like a full musical episode and i was glad to realize that it wasn't truly a full musical yeah, like episode. End to end. it was just it was just a couple numbers and i liked that they made it makes sense with magic like yeah. why they're performing music like it didn't feel like an episode of glee randomly sh- shoved into like the magicians yeah and i think that was one of the things that i really appreciated because uh so many musicals i i really like a lot of musicals but there's there's a whole like section of them that just doesn't feel like it makes sense right like people are singing and dancing for no particularly good reason and here i think everything felt really story relevant um just mm-hmm. Because it was it was built in that way. Like the whole part of the quest was built around music and was built around like the sort of unity part that we got at the end. Mm-hmm. Also, everybody be prepared for under pressure to be stuck in your head for at least a good <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, somebody tweeted out like uh, how how many days has it been since the preview since we got the preview for episode nine? That's how long under pressure has been in my head. It's gonna keep happening. I think like you and I are probably have it worse than most people since we've had to watch it like three or four times to prep this episode. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be stuck in your head forever. Yeah. Um. So I did want to talk about uh, I our sound engineer, my husband, Lanier, uh, is a composer. And so he had like a lot of notes on the musical components of the story that I thought would be really fun to sort of go through. Um, so he said, he was talking about the, the part of the beginning where they talk about it being medieval music notation. Um, and he said it, it, there are parts of it that don't make exact sense. So he had some comment about how like there wasn't really polyphony then. So you didn't get chords and there's a chord in like the last of the, um, of the notes that they play to get in. 
Um, mm. And he said that like the key change itself may not be exactly historical because standardized frequencies for pitches are a pretty new development. So like you've probably heard of like A440. That's like the pitch that people use to t- tune things. It's um, like mm-hmm. the standard A. That's pretty new. But he said that moving tonic, um, which is what happened from medieval music to now, it, it does change the f- frequency, so that would be what we use to perceive pitch, without changing the intervals. So, like, the the intervals between the the difference between, like, one note and the next in a sequence, the melody itself is going to be the same. It'll just be shifted down. So that part does make sense. And he, the reason he brought this up is because he said, like, the whole thing about Demon Todd's obsession with E suggests that magic is, is attached to the frequency itself, to the physics behind the sound and not to the melody or the musical content. Which, well, I feel like that would go in line with like how magic works in their universe. How yeah. it's very scientific. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked that for exactly that reason. Cause like in the books, especially like they get into it periodically into some of the, like, I don't know that they go into actual physics behind it, but like they sort of reference the fact that there are that like magic is kind is a science that there's a physical, there are physical properties behind it and changing those physical properties change things. Um, yeah. I really like, like, in the books, they go over it a lot, like, um, how different circumstances, you have to change the magic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so it's kind of cool to think of this as, like, you know, a medieval circumstance or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things that he pointed out was that if um, if the magic works in, um, so, like, in the key, right, like, um, the when they when they get in, they shift the key down to A because that's where they they purport um, the scale started in at the time it was written. Now that part may may or may not actually be true historically, but if uh, Demon Todd has this like obsession with E, which is five above A on the scale, um, and if magic works in the key of in um, in certain keys and a is what got them in. He pointed out that like when Katie goes to sing the song in a, um, and he corrects her and, and tells her to do it in E that might not be about a preference, but it could be about making sure it's consistent with the way magic works. And he wondered if maybe like, since they played a melody in a to get in, if her singing in a might have triggered like a premature exit or something like that. And I thought that was like a really cool theory. (laughs) About, like, yeah. why he's obsessed with it and why he doesn't want them to go in other keys. Yeah, I definitely was thinking that myself, that he was doing it to prevent them, well, from exiting. Because he knew that the key was there. Yeah. In A. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was, I, I just thought it was really, I thought it was really interesting that um, that there were, like, these different musical components and that the, it... Even if it wasn't historically 100% accurate, it sounds like there was a lot of thought that went into it, and there were some interesting ways that that plays out that we might not even have been have have caught without as you know you and I being non-experts. So I was glad we yeah. had an expert on hand to uh, to consult. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> gives you another layer. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, as you said, it's not. It, it, it's not a full musical in that it's not end-to-end, but there are a lot more musical numbers in this one than in last season. So I counted four total as opposed to one from last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to look them. I had to look a bunch of them up. So Wham Bam is a song by a band called Clooney. I don't know if you know them. 
I didn't. Um, that's Josh's first solo. And there's a lot of like foreshadowing in that that I realized even like the second time I watched it, right? Because he talks about um, like uh, that he's not the same person and that he wants to shed his skin and like reveal his true form. And even though mm-hmm. Josh is in his true form, Todd isn't. And so it's really interesting that like that song is part of it. Yeah, part of the universe. Yeah. Um, the second one was Katie's solo, which is a version of a song called All I Need Is The Girl from Gypsy. And there's actually, there is an All I Need Is The Boy cover that Family Guy did a few years ago, though it's very different from Katie's cover. It's sung by the, uh, the like, old lecherous neighbor who's, like, obsessed with, um, oh, what is the name of the son in Family Guy? Chris. Yeah, who's like obsessed with Chris. Uh, <laughs> I love that episode. It's so fucking creepy and hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so like, uh, it's sort of interesting, but like the song itself, I hadn't seen Gypsy, um, but Lunier had, and he said like, it's about a show mom and her daughter. And when I sort of looked up more details, it's based on a memoir that was written by the daughter who apparently became a famous burlesque dancer. Um, mm. So there's like a lot of cool layers in that too. Um and there was another reference which which I did catch um, that I don't I don't know if it was intentional but like to me it was it 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 seems intentional. There's this um, really famous black and white uh, musical movie from 1934. Do you know Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So they're the for if our if anyone in our audience doesn't know they were like tap dancers and um, really sort of famous. They did a bunch of mu- this like I don't know like a dozen or more musical films together, and one of them is The Gay Divorcee, which has this really long number of The Continental in it. Um, and right in the lead-up to that, Fred and Ginger's characters are being held captive in a hotel room with a balcony overlooking a ballroom. And I won't get into why, but like they're looking over this ballroom, and there's all this dancing below, and they really want to get involved with it, but they're, they, they don't they're afraid that like if they sneak out their captor is going to find out and come after them. So in order to prevent him from finding them, um, Fred's character cuts out a, a pair of dancing paper dolls and he puts them on a record player so that they're like going around and around and um, then shines a light at it toward the wall. So you see this like shadow of the two little characters dancing. Um, so I thought that was really cool too. Cause, uh, like that's like, it's a really famous musical from history, but like from a very different time period than any of the stuff that we see in the magicians. Yeah. Well, we know John's like obsessed with musicals, so I'm sure it was intentional. Yeah. The, so the last one is the only one that might not be intentional, but it's not crazy. Um, so for car wash, Lanier <laughs> found a cover of car wash from the Brady Bunch variety show. Um, Right, I know, we're getting obscure. Um, but Marsha is having some kind of like hallucination or dream where she and her family are all characters from Wizard of Oz and they're singing Car Wash and they're doing this like song and dance number. And Alice, who's the maid in the Brady show, she is like in the role of the Wicked Witch of the West. And the only reason mm-hmm. I thought that might be related because in the books, the point where like Quentin and everyone hook up with uh, Josh again is in Venice. And you remember he's like pulling this Wizard of Oz type thing in Venice. Mm -hmm. And so I thought like maybe this is some weird obscure reference to that. Like if anyone was going to do it, it would be John, right? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely also thought that the like pictures on the wall of Josh all like... like (laughs) (laughs) 
like ornate and like royal looking and made me think of him like in Venice. Yeah. Josh. Yeah. And those are all references like, to famous paintings too. Like I didn't know all of them, but mm-hmm. like I there were there were ones that I I like I knew I'd seen and I couldn't place what they were. Um there was one that like looked like it was a Rembrandt. Um there was one that was definitely a reference to the like Van Gogh self-portrait. Um mm-hmm. and then there was like the pop art warholy looking one too. Um, so yeah, like that also did like Josh is hooked up in his own private castle. <laughs> mhm i I love Josh. This was such a great Josh episode. I know, and I like that they didn't like you know, we've been missing him all season, and I like that they that it became plot relevant, right? Like that he was gone for a reason, and that them not noticing him was like them being dicks, but he brought it up. Like, one of my favorite parts in this whole episode is Josh, like, yelling at them about that because it's so reminiscent of, like, those two speeches he gives. The one, like, when he's drunk and almost misses Welters about, like, how everyone <laughs> underestimates him. And then he gives, like, a version of it that's less bitter later on in Venice. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, it was kind of both of our faults. Yeah, well, and I think <laughs> like- he also is, like, happy that he's set up the way he is mm-hmm. at that point. Um, I do love that it's, like, Julia that, like, was the only one responding to him. I know. And at the end, she's like, dude, you didn't call me back. And he's like, yeah, sorry, I'm a dick. <laughs> I know. And I, I love that, too, because, like, he was getting on their cases for not getting back to him. And then it turns out that somebody did, and he didn't get back to her. Yeah. Um, okay, so the last musical number, obviously, Under Pressure. <laughs> Talk to me. You said mm-hmm. you said you cry every time you hear it. It's such a beautiful song. Like just the content, the lyrical content. If you like, really pay attention to it, it's just like so like sad. Yeah. <laughs> so it always gets to me. And it's super relevant, like you said, to to what's going on with them in this episode because they all are like uh, under a lot of pressure, or as Quentin uh-huh. puts it, they're fucked in their own ways. Um, Mm -hmm. and then like, I don't know, there were like a bunch of little, little pieces about that. And it really felt like the whole unity thing worked really well with it. I like, I, and also though, we have to mention though, that unity, since it's unity that officially the discipline theory has been debunked. (laughs) You've been waiting for that. I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have I, I have been waiting for that. <laughs> I I was like I I took some like weird notes in the other room cuz like Lenny and I were talking about this a lot and one of the things he was talking about was how like there always there seems to be a helper at like every key. Um so like the first key it was Frey, right? Like she's the one who um is like that's not what a shadow bat looks like and um she is placed there by the fairies so that's interesting in the second key um oh who was i was i wrote it down but now i can't remember who was the helper in the with the second key with the third key it's like the third was the third key the depression no the third key was the um the time key so like Mm -hmm. that's jane chatwin because she's the one who sends Margot back yeah with the fourth key, that's Benedict. Well, no, Benedict isn't the helper. Cassandra is the helper, I think. Either Cassandra or Sylvia. 
for the for the fourth key, the one that they get from the library in the library. Yeah, but it was originally in Fillory. It was, but I think like if there's a helper person, like somebody who is who you can think of as like the quest guide for that one, it mm-hmm. probably is Cassandra. Either Cassandra or Sylvia. It's a little hard to tell like what their relative roles are. Um, yeah, so like saying as if someone had like sent them to Yeah. Like they all each have a key. Yeah, something like that. Um and like Yeah. There's that mention of like fake Todd saying yeah I was like obsessed with that this whole this whole week since I've seen this episode like who the fuck is running the show and especially because so at first I thought like it was all you but then when I went back and watched it again he definitely says he he says he said you'd ace it the only one I'd do this for so like who the fuck is he maybe it like there's a few things it could be it could be either like one of the characters from the future Uh uh-huh because we're fucking with time it could be Quentin's son, who I swear Chekhov's gun, he's going to show up again. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, it can't. I, I was sort of going the other way. I was thinking about who it can't be. So, like, it can't be Ember, I don't think, because he's dead. And, like, you know, death, we're not sure what it means on this show, but he seems as dead as people get. Uh, but he could have set it up before he died. Lanier said that he too. going to die. Lanier said that too, that maybe there's some kind of, like, thing. I feel like it. The great cock is kind of like the obvious one because he set them on the quest, but also that's not that interesting. So I feel like that's not going to be it. One of the ones I was thinking of was Hades. Um, so, I was thinking of Hades too. Okay, so tell me, tell me why you were. Talk to me. <laughs> I mean, depending on like which tale you read, like Hades can be very evil, or mm-hmm. he can be pretty like I don't know, like in the middle, like, like a trickster. neither evil. Yeah, he's a trickster, obviously. His son is Reynard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like he probably, you know, knows that it's all of this stuff, like, happened because of his son, mm-hmm. who he didn't control. So, you know, Julia has the magic from OLU, but, like, what about Hades, who clearly has to be Reynard's father? I mean, I guess it could yeah. be a different god, but... But it seems it pretty unlikely that it's anyone else, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I was thinking, too. And then I was thinking, like, is Hades somebody that we've already seen? Um, and I have to say, <laughs> I was thinking about your Rafe theory, and I was wondering if Rafe is secretly Hades. <laughs> that would be amazing. Speaking of the Rafe theory, we've kind of um, changed our minds, and we have thinking that he's on their side. Uh huh. To help them. Oh right, we were talking so I about like that. To point that out. Yeah. Yeah. In which case, so like him might, being. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> he's like instead of trying to undermine them, he's been trying to help them all along because he wants the children of Earth to continue to rule Fillory. Yeah, or something, right? Like it is the whole like children of Earth ruling Fillory is a good thing is still weird to me. Um, yeah. Okay, before we move on, though, I want to mention... Well, I feel like it would be, like... I feel like it would be, like, um, basically, like... So you would have people who fucking hated Ember and Umber, right? And then you would have people who probably worshipped Ember and Umber and believed that even if they made these rules as, like, a joke, that they would still, like, want to follow them, continue Mm. to follow them. So, like, I would think that since, you know, Rafe 
particularly is loves animals and he That's loves true. Abigail that he would want to be for the creatures. Mm. There's yeah. that theory, but I guess hidden Haiti would be very interesting. Hidden yeah. Hades. I'm still, oh, oh, I forgot to, hang on a second. Let me pull up the screenshot. So I also, I took a screenshot. Did you see the, did you look at the book at the end? I didn't see what you were talking about. Okay, so I took a <laughs> screenshot of the book, and there's, like, two things that I want to point out. So one, like, on the left you have the image, and it's a woman in, a, again, like a fen-like dress holding a sword, and the moon is, like, shining on her. It's shining on her shield, it looks like, and bouncing off her shield, it points at a key. So there's that interesting thing to begin with. Um, and then uh, the text, it says, uh, uh, let me see... Across the farthest of rivers, through the thickest of forests, to the highest and lowest points of the land, the girl traveled in search of the next key. Always keeping in mind what she was fighting for, to save her father, the glorious acclaimed knight who she looked up to her entire life. Sorry, if I'm pausing, I'm pausing because they're using like old school, um, they're using like old school notation. So the S's look like F's and it's a little, it's throwing me off. Um, the man who crushed her dreamt of being a knight before they, before they'd even, oh, sorry. The man who crushed her dreams of being a knight before they'd even hatched. Along the way, the girl asked every humanoid and creature alike about the keys. In a village by the floating mountain, so that's coming back, the girl met an old woman who knew where one might be found. She told the girl a tale of a monster that lived deep in the ocean, so maybe the dragon's coming back, and collected treasures... Um, and then my watermark is over part of it, and then it says, had obtained the key long ago and keeps it for itself. Legend said that the creature would return to the surface only when they were challenged to defend. Um, I can't, uh, I can't see the rest in my screenshot, but it says something like by a, an appointed knight. So that's chapter six of the tale of the seven keys. So something interesting is going on here. And the acclaimed night made me think of Bingle, but then looking at that picture where it looks like the girl is defending it. Again, I'm, I'm bringing Fen back in. Uh, my Fen theory, I think that she's going to be maybe the one who is. I don't think Fen will find it, but maybe Fen will help Julia. Oh, that's interesting. Because I think that this is the se- this is the season of Julia. Yeah, like she has the power, and her story is huge. I mean, yeah, just, just getting bigger. Obviously, what happened to the sword that they, that Quentin used to kill Ember, the one that and and save Julia? Do you remember? They never talk about it. Hmm. They probably probably hid it somewhere in Fillory. Maybe we're going to see that again, too. Um, so before we go out of the, like, theories portion of this, um, Lanier had one other comment um, about, like, who might be running the show. So he thought that the demon's comment about the ashram could be a clue to think about Hinduism. And from that perspective, he guessed that maybe the god that we're actually looking for, the person running the show, is Shiva, who destroys the universe in order to remake it. Interesting. I feel like that would be pretty consistent with the mythology of the books. It would be, especially because the books loves to like play with um, just like different kinds of mythology. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily just straight like Greek or 
or Roman, which is what people are familiar with. Right, and it mixes it up a lot. So you're never like, one mythology is going to bleed into the other in the books. Um, and we've seen mm-hmm. a little bit of that in the show, too. Yeah, with OL, you end up being like a... Persephone, yeah. Persephone. Yeah. So I'm, I like that theory. Um, I still think that it has to, that, that it has to be someone we know in disguise in order for it to be like really interesting and powerful. But I don't know. I've been, I've been surprised in the past. <laughs> but like, what if it's Todd? I thought Real about Todd. that too. <laughs> what if it's Todd? <laughs> Cause Lanier was asking also like, why is it Todd that the demon took the form of? Mm-hmm. Like, Todd's a nobody. Does Josh even have any I, relationship with Todd? I mean, he knew who Todd was. He, I mean, he sold Todd a lot of, like, uh, drugs. I know that. <laughs> He's Todd's dealer, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, um, a couple other... Yeah, okay. Let's move on to more, like, plotty stuff. So, uh, one thing that we definitely have to talk about is demigoddess Julia. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, are you excited? I am excited. It's very weird the way that they show it so far. Like Cyclops? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm i just, like, so excited for it. And I love um, how, like, Fan was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, I guess I'm leveling up. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, I mean, she's holding the truth key at that moment, though. So, I mean, she has to know something about it. Something's going on. It's all... I'm. It's all very confusing. I'm looking forward to seeing it unfold more. Um, I was bummed that there weren't more episodes in my screeners kit today. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a couple other things we definitely need to talk about. So, you texted me about this. Um, Elliot tells Margot he loves her. Yeah, that happened. And then <laughs> she was just kind of like, I know. <laughs> uh, Linear looked at me when I when that came up because that's what happened in our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> he told me he loved me for the first time and I said, I know. And it wasn't that I meant to be weird or anything. I just spaced out. I don't know, whatever. I was excited. <laughs> I mean, whenever anyone says that, I just think of um, Star Wars automatically. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. Do you think that Mar- that Elliot is like romantically in love with Margot? I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um I kn- I've always felt like Margot's romantically in love with Elliot. Yeah, in the um, books that definitely that, seems true. And and I feel like in the show it a little bit and like mm-hmm. especially that speech she gave at the end of like season 1 where he's like about to get married. And, but I felt like she let that go. Yeah. I feel like, like there, so I feel like when we talked to Lev about this at some point, maybe, or maybe it was when we, I don't know, when we talked to somebody, um, we've talked a lot about how like Elliot is gay, but there's definitely some measure of fluidity and something that he feels for Margot that is complicated and different from what he feels for anybody else. So, like, if anyone were going to be his romantic exception, it would definitely be Margot. Um, I'm still mm-hmm. not sure that what he was trying to profess in that moment was romantic love, or if it was just him trying, like, 
being vulnerable because that's also something that he really struggles with and telling her how much she means to him. I feel like he was also just kind of being like, um, kind of more like you're my life partner, regardless of like gender or, or love. Yeah. It's sort of a recognition that they're soulmates. Yeah. Which is like a lot of people don't, they automatically think soulmate just means like, like romantic love when it doesn't have to. Yeah. I I always think, especially in the books, I thought a lot of like the concept of romantic friendship where there's just like a blurring of lines between romantic love and platonic love and uh, all the other types of ways that you can have a relationship. And like Quentin and Elliot feel that way to me a lot of the time, but so I mean, back in the day, yeah, back in the day, we've gone on many a rants about romantic friendships um, yeah. in the in the Free Trader Beowulf chat rooms. Yeah, because it's it's a real thing, and it did not die in the 19th century. <laughs> no, I mean, like we love to to read books that involve that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Secret History is definitely one of those. Are you still were you, are you still working on that? Or did you finally finish it? I finally finished it. Oh, good. It took me so long. And now I'm like, crap, now I need to read the Goldfinch and some movies coming out. And I'm just like, this is going to take me forever. I, You know, the Goldfinch was a much faster read for me. It was, I read like the first 200 pages in like a couple days. And then it took me a while to get through like the middle three or 400 pages. And then the last 200 pages I read in one sitting at the airport. So it's like, there's definitely parts Um, of it that are fast. I'm super stoked. The cast for that is like fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm really excited for that movie. So Um, yeah, I have, I still want them to make a secret history adaptation and I still want to, to be a part of that and write it. (laughs) I have good, I had good ideas. You gotta you gotta apply to be like a script coordinator or something so you can like work your way up in time for it. Yes. <laughs> um, I think she like refuses to sell the rights to anybody at this moment, I think. Donna Tart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I would want it to be made very well, and I don't know that I'd trust most people to make it well. <laughs> okay. But okay, okay, we should get back on topic. Yeah, but okay, like okay. romantic Romantic friendships, yeah. I definitely think Quentin and Elliot have one. Um, I feel like it's less apparent in the show until recently. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the Quelliot has been strong this season. I think there was a moment last season when... Um, do you remember that moment when, like, right after Elliot becomes High King, um, when he and Quentin are in, like, some random side room together and yeah. they just have that very sweet moment? That reminded until, me of that. Until Elliot's like, can you squeeze my ass a little? And then it was a little less. <laughs> <laughs> Still consistent with the romantic friendship theme, though. <laughs> yeah. I just, like, I'm just waiting until I hear, like, that one. So, like, in the books, Elliot writes Quentin that letter where oh, yeah. he basically tells Quentin, like, how important he is and how he's, like, family to him and how he never felt like he had a family. Yeah. Like he basically didn't know he had a family until he met Quentin. And it gets to me every time. And I want to hear him say stuff like that to Quentin on the show. Yeah. I feel like we get like bits of it. Like the life partner comment was a bit of mm-hmm. that, but it would be good to see him be more sincere the way he was with Margot in this episode. 
Yeah, maybe it'll open him up to being more sincere. Yeah. Um, okay, so the other thing I definitely want to talk about is that the Muntjac saves Margot and Elliot. Um, and I think that's pretty clearly gratitude and sort of some sense of sisterhood and solidarity uh, for the fact that Margot treated her with respect like a person, like something with agency um, earlier, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's recognition that some, something in Margot makes a good leader. Mm-hmm. Margot really, is a great leader. Yeah, she is. Like, let's get rid of Elliot and just have Margot <laughs> rule all of Fillory by herself. <laughs> I mean, she does rule all of Fillory by herself in the books while Elliot is off on the quest. Yeah. So. Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> Well, that doesn't exist in the books. The whole like, yeah, divide of matriarchy, patriarchy. Like it's just rulers. Why do you they think all they, have equal value? Why do you think they brought it back in the show? Why do you think they brought in a patriarchy in the show? I I assume it has something to do with um, just the way that they wanted to portray Fillory and how it needed like help and. Um, like probably, you know, to make it a little bit relevant with with what's going on in the world today. Mm. It's given us a chance to see Finn's character grow for sure. Um, and yeah, I think we've seen some other like interesting things around that. Um, speaking of uh, Philorian natives, let's talk about Tick. Ugh, <laughs> oh, I love Tick, <laughs> and I love um, Rizwan. I feel like God. we're going to need a supercut of that at the end of this season of just every time he we just, said I love him. <laughs> I know. We're always just like Todd and and Tick and <laughs> all these like random side characters <laughs> who all have four letter names beginning in T. Yeah. <laughs> um, um I I love it when he just like all of a sudden just goes bad, like just like the change. It was just like because I was kind of expecting it. Like as soon as this started happening, and I never really expected it until that moment, and I knew what was happening. Do you think he's been giving them bad advice all along? Probably. Do you think he's been working with the fairy queen? Probably. (laughs) I mean, but the thing is, is now with the fairies, like it's hard to know like whether or not they actually don't like them or if they're trying to get I don't know maybe the fairies are the reason they're on this quest I was wondering about that too I mean the fairies have to play a larger role than we have thought in the quest or the stuff that Julia and Fenn are encountering wouldn't be relevant mm-hmm. I mean I think that the fairies just trying to liberate her slaves yeah which I mean I am all for but like couldn't she have just fucking said that I feel like everyone would be on board if they would just (laughs) yeah but that's like fairy logic right yeah everything has to be like a riddle or burned yeah um and I guess we already talked about this a little bit but like it does feel to me at least a little like like, Tick has a point, and, like, the Foo Fighters have a point that Fillory should be run by Fillorians. Like, there's a weird political thing in this. Um, we, we saw Black Panther last weekend, and um, it was amazing. And uh, one, of the things it that, was. one of the things that Linear pointed out, though, is that, like, the politics of it are a little weird because, like, they have this, they have this patriarchal monarchy, 
Um, and the idea that like that's the kind of politics we should be exporting is a little strange. Um, and I think like it it sounds like from what from what I've heard from people who've read the comics, like there's more discussion of the politics and of sort of the nuance and strangeness and of it like not being quite as simple as um as like a good evil split um but i was thinking about that here too that like the politics of like the politics that we associate with the people who are our like heroes our protagonists with um all of the magicians that we know don't quite they don't quite add up to good Mm-hmm. Have you heard, um, have you read the article where uh, Chadwick Boseman basically says the real villain of Black yeah. Panther was himself? Yeah, yeah. Was Black Panther? And I was like, yeah, like, I mean, honestly, they were all like, it was one of those ones where you're just watching it and you're like, the villain's not necessarily wrong. He just has a bad way of getting there in the same way in the X-Men, you know, comics and Mm -hmm. movies where it's like Magneto's not necessarily wrong. He's just doing it a really fucked up way. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we must have something kind of like that going on here right now. I'm really Mm -hmm. interested. I don't feel like we got to explore the politics and Fillory in the books as much as I would have liked. And I think, I actually think Lev said at one point that like he, uh, like, part of the reason he got interested in doing the bright sword was because he felt like he hadn't explored the politics of a sort of medieval um, period as much as he would have liked to. Um, So I'm really excited that we're getting to see more of that in the show that we're getting to like look through the politics in more detail. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what else do you want to talk about, about the episode? I feel like I've been talking for an age I mean, um, you've been bringing up good points, so it's okay. Um, let's see, let's see. I think we've talked about most of everything. Let's see, let me think. Let me think. I'd love to see Alice and Quentin working together again. I know, and I was so sad at the end when he, like, goes back to being suspicious. I mean, he has good reason. Yeah. Because she's not being honest. I don't know why she's not being honest. She must have some sort of... Because we don't know what happened. Like, she just left the library. Like That brings up a good point, though, right? Like, the last thing we see with her in the library before she talks to Quentin is the head librarian asking her if she knows about the, the quest. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck do you think the library wants with the quest? I mean, the library wants magic restored just as much as anybody. And they know, like these people are on the quest. I think they're probably going to try and help them. But. Are you sure? Because I kind of feel like it might be the other way around. Like, the library's hoarding fairy dust. So, like, clearly they're up to some kind of nefarious bullshit. Um, I'm assuming that they're buying that off of hmm, what's-her-face. But they know what it is. They know what it is, right? So, like, that's creepy. That is creepy. I mean, maybe they don't like the fairies. Maybe, well... And I, I would buy that. I would buy that they don't like the fairies. But I also feel like I don't really know what their game is. Like, when when the head librarian said that to Alice, my immediate thought was she wants to stop them from getting magic back. And I think, like, part of why I felt that way is because, like, she's, right, she's hoarding all the knowledge in the books, right? She's not letting other people access it. And 
they clearly ooh, have ooh. yeah they have ooh, some like no 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 okay <laughs> oh, okay okay i think that the final key because you know in the books it unlocks the other side of fillery uh-huh i have a feeling that instead in this it's like gonna unlock magic but it's also going to like merge the worlds so that they're easily accessed by everybody yeah see so then the library would be against it that's a great I, yes i love that i love that theory <laughs> oh and then what happens in season four <laughs> and that's why they don't want her to do the grand theory of unified magic because right. then magic would be unified right or why they only want her to do it if she is under their control if she's like working for them and willing to like keep it away from everybody else i hope that alice said no i, I hope she did too but i don't think she did i have no idea We'll find out. If you're I right that, like, Cassandra is future Alice, if you're right about that, then I think that says that Alice said yes, that she is working for the library, that she, like, made a contract with them. She might have, or it could be, like, Alice from another timeline completely. That's always possible. Oh, man. I can't wait to find all this out. Because, <laughs> I mean, if it, I, I have a feeling it is Alice in some form because, like, I mean, take a look at Margot, where they're like, oh, you were Janet in another timeline, which goes in with the books, but like also could just be like, you can have different names in other timelines. Yeah. Well, and you saw Sarah's tweet about they're gonna, like, there's going to be more Alice shenanigans, crazy Alice shenanigans. Yeah. I am looking forward to it. Uh, I, I've... I feel like I, I don't stop being excited about this season, which is, like, the best thing, right? It's been such an amazing season. Every single episode is on point for the, for, you know, pretty much every single episode is on point. And, like, I have no idea where they're going despite having read the books and despite, like, knowing what the quest looks like in the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea where they're going either. I'm always constantly just like, well, shit. <laughs> now what? <laughs> Um, okay, so there's a couple other little things I wanted to mention. Um, actually, there's only one. We talked about everything else. But the only other thing I wanted to mention was, like, another possible reference with all the, like, music zombies was, um, did you ever play the Michael Jackson game Moonwalker? No. So it's kind of like, I mean, the thriller video is kind of like that, too. Like, there's all these zombies. But in the game, Michael Jackson controls the music zombies. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot like Todd. So Todd is Michael Jackson, I guess. Yeah, Demon Todd. <laughs> yeah, Demon Todd, the Charmmeister, which is not a thing, by the way, as far as we could tell. We looked. It, it was up. funny because I kept watching the the episode and I was just like, "Is this Todd? Is this really Todd?" And I was like, "Why does he keep falling asleep?" Oh, it's because he's an old man. <laughs> yeah, old man demon. <laughs> he's just tired of tired of being there and gassy. <laughs> yeah, I identify with that. <laughs> okay uh fashion then let's do it all right i don't actually have that much in fashion today because most of the characters were wearing the same things they did in the last episode but i did want to call out katie's outfit during the burlesque number um so at first i thought it was a dress but then obviously she like rips off part of it and when i watched it the second time i could see that that like the skirt was separate um mm. but it was really cool and just like a great shout out to like old school burlesque shows um I, like, I loved I loved the spell she did to get it on herself too. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's cool. It was beautiful. 
Um, and then the other thing, which is, I guess, less of a fashion note than more like a plot thing that has to do with a fashion component, is um, Sky's necklace. The necklaces that are like keeping the fairies from using magic. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? One of the things that's kind of weird about it is that it it still works even though magic is gone. Um, and Lanier had sort of pointed this out and wondered if it was like the keys, an inherently magical object. It probably came from like Fillory or like something like that. So how do you think Irene got it? I'm not sure. She has to be working with someone evil. Or, I mean, the other, the only other thing I was thinking about was like, this might be where we start to get the Rupert connection. Cause wasn't it, wasn't it the McAllister's... Um, wasn't it? Um, so her name's Irene, right? Her name's Irene, but wasn't the... the Irene's like, like great, great, like, like uncle or something was Rupert's lover. Right. Lance McAllister. So I'm wondering if maybe like Rupert, you know how in the, in the books there's the, there's this like, uh, briefcase of Rupert's that, that figures in, we won't really talk about too much, but like maybe it, it has some stuff that came from Fillory in it. Maybe he left that with Lance. Yeah. Maybe they stole it. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's an interesting question. Like I wasn't paying too much attention to the McAllisters at first. And even when I saw the like fairy stuff, I was kind of like, okay, they're shady as shit. But I think the, there's something more to the like sinister shit that they're doing that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, they're like a weird like ritualistic family, I feel like. Yeah. Very scary um Definitely. old white family. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. They make me think of like that family that would probably be in like get out. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh all right, that's all I had for fashion. Was there anything you noticed that wasn't in the last episode? I feel like we talked about Julia's stuff in the last episode, and she's wearing the same stuff. I mean, Julia's stuff. No, she- isn't she? I don't know if it was the same. Her like businessy like outfit. I don't know if she was wearing it in the end of the last episode. She was. I remember because I like I actually noticed it. <laughs> I didn't talk about it because you were talking about the Julia stuff last time, but I, I noticed the like blazer and the. It's like a white button-up shirt that has like a black lining around it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think she so, was yeah. wearing the same thing. Um. So yeah, not too much for fashion. MVP. I had to cop out and go for ensemble. <laughs> Same. It's just I was so either going to go ensemble or I was just going to give it to Josh. That you had exactly. I mean, I was exactly the same way. I thought about giving it to Todd too cuz this is like yeah. a different Todd had, than we've seen. <laughs> yeah, I had thoughts about giving it to Adam as well. Yeah. I do think though that we should call out um two amazing singers in this episode. Um, So we didn't get to see Jade sing in the last musical number. Um, She wasn't part of that. So we should definitely call out Jade because she's an amazing singer. We did get to see see Hale sing in the last one, but I feel like Hale as uh, Elliot, as David Bowie is just like, it's peak amazing (laughs) for for his voice. Yeah, Hale... Incredible voice. I know that they definitely gave to them like a little bit less to be comfortable singing, which I'm sure they were all fine by. 
Yeah. I did notice though. Uh, did you did you notice Olivia's voice in it? I did. I thought um, she was I thought she had she she had a, I thought she had a really great voice and like I I wish they'd given her a little more to do. I remember her saying <laughs> that she gets nervous singing, so maybe that was why. She yeah. I I get terribly nervous while singing in front of other people. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, we're both giving it to the ensemble, despite much waffling. Um, but yeah, gotta call out Jade and Hale as amazing singers. Yeah, actually, um, Trevor has a really good voice too, actually. Yes, that too. He had two solo songs and he had a solo in the last number, so clearly he's doing something right. I'm also still waiting for them to give us an Arjun rap, because he, like, you know, he said he would do it. Well, and I'm mad that they didn't let Adam sing. We know he can sing. He's, like, done it before for other, for, like, a movie. <laughs> yeah. It was right there. Next time. Yeah, next, next time. time he can sing from The Lion King, like he said. <laughs> yeah, he needs to sing I Just Can't Wait to Be King. It would be perfect. All right. Uh, ratings? Um, I would probably go with, like, an, like, like an 8.5 out of 10. I'm going to give it a solid nine. I'm going to round up. I think this is a great episode. Um, and I'm done trying, done pretending <laughs> that I didn't hit like the ceiling for <laughs> season three a long time ago. So yeah, it's an, I think this is a great episode. Nine out of 10 for me. I'm, I'm curious as to if they can pull any, like anything else out that could be better than the last like couple episodes we've watched. We'll like, find out. I'm sure they can. I mean, <laughs> it was amazing, though. It was really, really amazing. And there's a lot that's hard to top in that. But I don't know. I'm looking forward to a wild finale and and uh, penultimate episode. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. I guess that's it then. Yeah? Nothing else? Yeah. All right. So. All right. Listeners, thank you for joining us this week. Remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. The more positive ratings we get, the higher we show up in search results, which means more fans can find us. And I also want to just give a shout-out to all the wonderful people who who did give us ratings recently. Um, I notice. Uh, thank you so much. It's been it's been really great to see those numbers going up. And, uh, yeah, we, we love doing this for you, so thanks for given us that back um as always you can follow us on twitter or facebook at physical kids pod bye bye mind slide Sat on a fence, but it don't work.